Today's episode of From the Rose Garden is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to therosegarden.robinhood.com. That's therosegarden.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. I'm Damian Lillard, and you're listening to From the Rose Garden on the Athletic Podcast Network. Rip City! Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. I, I love the NBA for the memories and being able to play basketball. I say I played Kobe Bryant. I reached as a kid. I sat not in this locker room. The locker room's similar, yeah. but old. It was old then, like 100 years. So that's the funny. Yeah. But I sat in these locker rooms and thinking, there's, like, my goal is to play against all that. There's no way I can really do that, you know. I know LeBron says it, but I'm like, dude, you're 6'8". You know? yeah. You're 6'8 in sophomore year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you go check my mark. I was 5'11", you know, yeah. going into my sophomore year. I'm like, wow. I was far from the, and I'm thinking, like, I had knee surgeries in high school. So I'm like, I was far from the guy that thought that I would actually be sitting in an all-star room with, Tim Duncan and Kobe, Shaq, yeah. Phil Jackson's over there. I watched the yeah. Bulls. So I'm like, hell no. Yeah. So to, to, to have that, I was like, dude, this is. So for me, I think some people think it's damn. I'm like, no, I smile more about it. Like, dude, I had, a, I had a hell of a time. But after that, I wanted to secure myself financially. So that way I can do what Brandon wants to do more. You know, uh, it, you know, be, you know, around my kids and, and, and things like that. And, you know, hang out with my mom and. You know, you give basketball a lot. <laughs> you know, you get basketball, you give, you know, your community, you give, and, and sometimes it, it just gets like, hey, man, when do you get some time to to, to do what you want? You know, even if it's yeah. just, you know, sit back and, you know, I go down to Madison Park Beach with the kids and I just sit there at the beach and cross my legs and let them play and put a little something on the phone and it's like, no, nah, you know, grow my beard out when I want, you know, yeah. not to look a certain way. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's just, that, that's, that's, that's living for me. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Rose Garden, your Portland Trailblazers podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Dave DeFort, joined as always by the 2019 Oregon Sports Writer of the Year, <laughs> Jason Quick. Hey, congratulations. Hi, David. Hey, thanks, Congratulations, David. man. Yeah, I saw that's that in shit. Slack and I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. I work with that guy. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, uh. A, a nice surprise the other morning when I when I got to read that. Uh, how is everything? Uh, everything's great. 
I think, you know, last night the Blazers probably had their win of the season and boy, they need it because I, I think this season was uh, kind of slipping into that realm of being irrelevant. And I, I think this helps keep them kind of engaged and uh, at least gives the fan base, I think, some hope that that there's still something worth playing for this season. But uh, but other than that, I'm doing great. I'm in Dallas. They play the Mavericks tomorrow night. And uh, and it's always kind of a cool day when a story that you've worked on for uh, a long time and put a lot of uh, effort into comes out and people are able to to kind of share in it. And that's that's been fun for me f- to see people's reactions to uh, my Brandon Roy story. And it's just kind of rewarding. Yeah. I mean, well, that's why we're here right now, actually, because uh, I really wanted to pick your brain about the process of, you know, talking to Brandon. I've known th- this that this story was coming for a few weeks now. People have, have been just really, really uh, excited about it. Uh, I think Brandon Roy is one of these guys. He's almost, he's almost like a little bit of a folk hero because his career didn't last for very long. But, man, I can remember so many moments from it. Yeah. You know, he is really – and I don't know because I, I live in Portland and I've, I've covered the Blazers for so long. But I don't know if people outside of Portland understand the connection that he had to this community and to this franchise and how intense the uh, the adoration for him was and still is. And, and why I think this story resonates with so many people, why there's so much interest in it is because Brandon has disappeared. And it's part of it's by design. He, he's kind of a very private person. And also part of it's because he, he didn't have a lot to really want to be out there. Uh, he's he's gone through some tough times he's been shot he's been going through a divorce and he struggled for years to come to grips with the end of his sudden career uh in his prime at 27 28 and so he hasn't wanted to be out there and to be seen and to talk so it's been hard to reconnect with him and you know he and people tag him and and he's like, Dad, do you remember this? And I'm like, Hey man, I remember it all. I just don't, yeah. I don't talk about it. But why is it hard for you to talk about? Why now it was then because I just just too fresh. Or I was too... disappointed. It was almost like uh, being broken up with by a girl. Yeah. You know, you get broken up with, and she leaves you, and and yeah. you're like, you know, you guys had a good moment, but she breaks up with you. You know, and you're like, I still wanted to be with her. You know? Yeah. So I, I still wanted to be a part of basketball then. I still wanted to yeah. to play games. I wanted to not look at memories, but still be creating them. So it was it was hard. I didn't want to. I didn't want to look at it. And then you you got that feeling like uh, not only does your girlfriend break up, but she moves on and and is doing well. You know, mm-hmm. you look. I'm looking like, damn, Damian Lillard is great. You know, Portland's yeah. not gonna remember me. Lamarcus yeah. Aldridge is doing good. Like they're 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 winning, and it's like you know you're you're part of help bringing the, the the culture back, but it's still it's still like that bittersweet, you know. Yeah. And it takes some maturing and 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 understanding that you know going back to my own, you can't have things for forever, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, I covered him from the moment he was drafted, and. We were pretty close. We we had a great connection, and then once he left the league, it completely ended, and his numbers were changed. Uh, email was not answered. Uh, the 
the his support kind of circle, his friends and stuff, wouldn't return messages, wouldn't help uh, connect us. And so, and I think I think the city felt that that same thing. It wasn't just me. You know, I I, I wanted to do stories on him, how he's doing, what's going on, and I a lot of that was people going, "Hey, what's going on with Brandon? I haven't heard anything. What's he doing? How is he?" You know. And I wanted to answer those questions, and I could never get in touch with them. And it's because he, by design, kind of fell off the face of the planet. And uh, it wasn't until, uh, you know, this this winter that I said, you know what? I, I'm not going on the Blazers' first trip back east at the start of the year. I'm going to find Brandon Roy, and I'm going to write that damn story. And... Uh, made it happen and uh, it was just awesome to reconnect with him and to see him to hear him and to hear that he's coming out the other end i i think a better person you know and the the important thing that he like stressed to me at you know when we were done interviewing and talking and visiting it's like hey i want to be clear i I'm not at the peak of happiness and everything's not sunshine and, and, and great. This, this is a process, but I'm in a much better place and I'm in a, a much better place to be on the public stage and to kind of be out there and, and have people see me and hear my story. He's just in a better overall place after everything he's been through, but it's been a process and it's been a, a maturing process as he says. So it's really, it's just uh, the type of story that I love that here we have these heroes, these legends that we, you know, elevate onto a pedestal and, and look so highly upon. And when you really break it down, they're just like me and you. They have, you know, they're flawed. They have ups and downs. They have uh, tragedies. They have all these things they have to overcome just like us. And Brandon Roy, after he left the NBA, got a huge dose of that just with his, you know, identity crisis. His marriage fell apart. He was a victim of a shooting. These are life. That's life, man. And, and he's like, yeah, you know, when I step back and look at it, I've lived. I've lived life. And not all of it's been great. And so he, he's had to grow in a lot of different places and a lot of different ways. And I think. People, and especially the people of Portland who followed him so passionately, kind of really relate to that and really connect to that. And I think that's why this is resonating with, with the fan base. And again, I, I, I'm really, I don't have a great sense of what you know, somebody in Wisconsin or New York, what, what their impression or their memories of Brandon Roy are. But in, in Oregon and in the Northwest, it runs very deep. And, and it's very uh, emotional for people because he brought them so many memories. And he brought this franchise out of an incredibly, incredibly dark era. This was the jailblazers. They were bad, bad characters. And Paul Allen's interest in keeping the team was waning. You know, he was spending a ton of money and the, the team wasn't popular. The team wasn't successful. There was, uh, you know, he, he put the arena up for bankruptcy. 
there was a, a huge scare in Portland in, in this kind of living fear that Paul Allen was going to sell the Blazers and they were going to go to some other city. And then this golden child kind of comes in from Seattle with all this charisma, all this skill. He was a beautiful player to watch. And he just captured the city. And people fell in love again with the Blazers. And he brought people who said, I'm never watching that team again. What a bunch of thugs. What a bunch of you know, bad seeds. I'm not watching them ever again. And then Brandon Roy came and pulled them back in. He would give interviews, you know, anytime you wanted. And he would talk about the right things. And when he did community appearances, he didn't just do them. He like immersed himself in it. And I, I thought it was interesting when I was interviewing him. He remembered, hey, remember that time when I was a crosswalk guard for, the, for that school? That was so cool. Hey, remember when we served Thanksgiving uh, meals to the homeless and we get in conversations with them? And, you know, like he, that's how much it meant to him. Like he connected with people when he had to do those things that most NBA players are like, oh, God, we got to do this. He was about that. And people recognized that and felt that. And that's why there was this connection between Portland and Brandon Roy. And, and, what, and that's how he bridged the gap from the Jailblazers era to what they are now. And I think, you know, it, it, it's hard to say because it's, it's hard to predict what would have happened. But he might have saved the Blazers in Portland because he reinvigorated Paul Allen to keep owning the team. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to forget. But this guy should be like just finishing his career. Yeah, he's, he's 35. Been gone, I mean, right. Yep. I mean, he's the same age as Carmelo. It, it, like the mental part of that, right? Like, Yeah, it, it's interesting. We were talking. I, I didn't get into this in the story, and, I, and I'm in the process right now of, of writing a second story of kind of all the little tidbits that I wasn't able to get into the story. And one of the things that we talked about was the big three that the Blazers had. If you remember in 2007, you know, they had – Brandon, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Greg Oden. And there was great hopes for these three that they were going to be the next big thing. And then, of course, you know, Greg's knees fail. Brandon start has some knee problems. LaMarcus has heart problems. But anyways, he said there was a time when, when they were playing that he said, these guys are going to extend my career because especially Greg – Greg was such a physical presence, such a force, and he felt that he made it easier for Brandon to play. He didn't have to wear so much, experience so much wear and tear on his knees and work so hard. And he was like, Greg could have extended my career because he would have made things so much easier. But Greg can never stay healthy. Through all that time, those three, Aldridge, Roy, and Odin, played a total of 82 games through the courses of all their, all their years. And I, I, you know, that's a, that's a equivalent of an NBA season. And I think there's, it's kind of ironic in a way that uh, it came down to that number, 82 games that those three played, but it would, I think I'll, I'll always wonder what it would have been like if those three were been healthy and how long Brandon would, how much longer Brandon would have been able to play if all three would have been able to stay healthy. Not to put you on the spot, but you don't happen to know what their win-loss record was. 
it was around 50, I want to say 54 or 56. I'll, I'll have to go back and know. look. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the fifties though. Yeah. Did, did he talk at all about his comeback attempts? I mean, you know, he, he's played with Minnesota. I mean, it, was that a uh, part of the conversation? Yeah. Uh, and he felt like he had to do that. You know, when he walked away from the Blazers, it was when the lockout ended and it was in December uh, of 2011 and they were coming out with the schedule and the schedule, you know, they were trying to condense the season into this three or four months, whatever it was, four months. And there were games, a bunch of games, four nights and four games and five nights, uh, and not just back to backs, but back to back to backs. And he looked at it and said, Oh, I, my knees can't handle that. There's no way. And then plus when he started kind of working out again, his knee started acting up. And so coupled with the way his knee was feeling and looking at the schedule, he said, I, I've got to walk away from the game. But still in the back of his mind, he was like, I, I still feel like I have something left, but just not in a strike-shortened season, not with the, the, the schedule that was presented in front of me. So he sat out that strike-shortened year, and then his knees started feeling better. And he felt like he just had to give it one more try, or else he would have always kind of doubted himself and wondered. And he didn't want to wake up at, you know, in the night and go on, what if, what if I still had it? And so he went to Minnesota. Uh, and another thing is, is he wanted to play for a different coach. He, he had only played for Nate McMillan uh, and Lorenzo Romar at, at Washington. And he wanted to do it outside of the Northwest. He'd, he'd lived in this bubble his entire life from when he went to high school to college to the NBA was in a 170 mile radius of Seattle and Portland. And so when he made his comeback, he didn't want it to be under the microscope of his hometown and of Portland going, is he still the Brandon, same Brandon Roy? You know, what if he doesn't make it? Can he be a bench guy? What does this mean? He wanted to get away from all that. He said, I wanted to kill that noise. And so he went to Minnesota and if it didn't, he said, if it didn't work in Minnesota, then, it'd be a story that just kind of died. And it did. It, it kind of died in Minnesota. But uh, anyways, you know, long story short, he uh, was in the last game of the preseason. He was guarding Monta Ellis, and he felt his knee tweak. And he asked Rick Allen out of the game, and he said he remembers going to the bench, and his buddy Will Conroy was on the bench. And he said, damn, I think I did it again. And uh, he did, uh, but he didn't want to go through another procedure. And so he, he kind of just played through the pain. He was uh, by then an expert of playing through pain and um, ended up playing five games, ended up compensating on the other knee. Both knees swelled up and he ended up having his uh, seventh and final surgery. And, and then that was it. But he said he was really glad that he did that. Yeah. I mean, because otherwise you just always wonder, hey, yeah, should I have done it? And yeah. I think that that can be a little bit worse than doing it and, you know, and knowing that you couldn't. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as a former high school basketball coach, I, I want to talk about, you know, coaching. I mean, he, he's had pretty good success as a high school coach. I actually thought, <laughs> I, I mean, he's coached two seasons at two different schools and won two state titles. Not yeah. bad. I mean, it it helps that he also coached Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Right? His senior year. That helps. Um, yeah. But it seems like, and I've talked to people that that feel like Brandon Roy is is a pretty good coach. 
I actually expected him to move on to college and and have and be really successful, especially recruiting. Did you get any sense of you know yeah he he's not going to go into college because his uh he's got four kids now, and his oldest son uh, turns thirteen in March, his daughter's twelve, and then he has a three year old and a two year old and he doesn't want to give the time commitment that it would take to be a college coach he's really after he got shot, he really kind of reorganized and reprioritized his life. And it is completely focused on his kids. And so, you know, the high school coaching, he shows up at four, uh, you know, coaches him into the night, and then that's it. He's able to, to take his kids to school, pick them up, that kind of thing, show up to their uh, games, their recitals all that. But as far, I I didn't get a lot into his coaching and and there's a lot, I think in Seattle, there's a lot of, there's a lot of banter about, you know, whether or not he's recruited and, and how players are, he's all of a sudden getting these D one players who are transferring into his school. He's got two D one guys right now on the Garfield team. They're fourth in the state. Uh, He's got a kid going to Cincinnati and another kid going to uh, Pepperdine. But they just got hammered by the number one ranked team in, in their in the state in the league. So I, I didn't get a lot into his coaching, but just a, a quick thing: I, I did witness him coach a game. He's a different coach. He 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 doesn't diagram the plays. He has an assistant do that, uh, and he's very he's very calm. He's not off the bench a lot. Doesn't yell. Doesn't you know question the refs. He's very in his seat. Uh, he'll get up. He'll he'll teach to a kid during a timeout, but it's always an assistant who who does his, the X's and O's. Um, you know, sometimes he'll he'll tap an assistant and say, "Hey, do this play." So he, he's kind of a a different kind of, of coach. He's he's not very hands on right now, but he says he eventually wants to do that to get become uh, more hands on. But early in his career, he's he's focused more on the organization and details and practice. And then he likes to let kids play and, and play by feel. But anyways, I, I think to answer your broader question and, and to get kind of at the crux of where Brandon is in his life, uh, he's not ready to make a big commitment for himself, which, you know, would be a becoming a college coach. I think he probably deep down wouldn't mind that maybe eventually, but right now uh, after he got shot, and and he says, you know, he was laying in the ambulance going to the hospital. And he remembers looking at the bright light on the on the ambulance roof inside. And all he could think about was his kids. And that kept flashing by about if he and I don't think he ever thought he was gonna die right then. But when you get shot at from a close range, it changes you. And and it really put into perspective of what was important to him in life. And he thought about, you know, how he would, if he didn't have his parents, what, how screwed up his life would have been. And he, he wanted to be there for his kids. So from that point on, his life changed. He reprioritized his kids, but he also, uh, he had to deal with a lot of guilt. And I, I thought it was really interesting. He kept bringing up how guilty he felt about being shot because he felt it, when you get shot, it, it carries with it a stigma that you're involved in, in some kind of 
nefarious or bad uh, thing in your life. And he insists that I wasn't doing anything bad. I was at a, my grandma's house. We were having a big celebration, a barbecue. There was a bouncy house. I was shooting hoops with kids. I was out in the front getting ready to leave. And we were talking about opening a food truck and then pop, 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 pop. But thought it was fireworks. And I looked down on my leg and there's holes and there's blood. And, you know, he starts covering kids and just like that, your life changes. And so in a long winded way, sorry, David, uh, I, college coaching is not on his horizon. He's got uh, bigger things, more important things uh, right now. And, and that's his kids and his family. Uh, so that kind of leads into the number one question I've seen uh, today from people kind of regarding your piece and Brandon Roy in general. Did you get a sense that that one day he'll he'll wind up in some kind of an NBA role? Did did it seem like uh he was reticent that he didn't have a relationship with the Blazers, you know? No. I, I, and I and I think the the distance that he's kept from the Blazers hasn't been because of any ill feelings or it's just that it, it hasn't been on his radar. I mean, at, at first it was it was just too hard for him, and then now as he's kind of moved on, he's he's really I, I don't know how to pro- place it right, but it's not that he doesn't care about the NBA and doesn't uh, care about his past, but it's not the most important thing to him anymore. He's moved on and. It's still a large part of who he is and who he was, obviously, but it's not going to define him moving forward. So he doesn't need that connection or that – he just doesn't need it. That's not to say it won't happen. He might, but I definitely did not get any sense that he is itching to, to get into the front office. He's been, he said Neil Olshay has offered countless times – not only tickets, but hey, any role you want within the organization, I will help facilitate it, you know, get your foot in the door. What do you want to do? You know, and it was an open ended, anything you want to do with the organization, we will help you. It's an, you always have an open door at the Trailblazers. And Brandon said his reaction was like, yeah, yeah, no, nah, not right now. And then, you know, they just kind of stopped asking and. And here we are eight years later, and Brandon hasn't been in the Rose Garden for a Blazer game in eight years. Uh, but I, I do think he's going to come back this year. It might be the February 23rd game that the team has arranged for, uh, set up for their 50th year anniversary, where they'll honor that, that decade. The only kind of hitch is that that's the same weekend as, as the district tournament for, for the Seattle Metro League. And, and Brandon's team is – it should be either in the semifinals or the finals. If they're in the finals, then he won't be able to make it. But even if, if he's unable to make it on the, on the decade night where they – for the 50th anniversary uh, celebration, I think he'll come down this year. I, I think he'll do it um, just in knowing him and how – we talked about it several times, and he said, you know, his, his oldest son, Brandon Jr., uh, keeps bugging him and, and saying, 
Daddy, I want to see a Blazer game. I want to see where you played. Because Brandon, little Brandon Jr., at that time, he was just a kid. And, and Brandon, I remember he would bring him up to the, the playoff podium. He, he was one of the first kids, you know, since we've had Stephen Curry's and Russell Westbrook. They, you know, they all bring their kids up. <clears throat> Brandon was one of the first guys who would bring his, his little infant kid up there. And Brandon Jr. was playing with the microphone and all that. But, he, you know, he was too young to remember all that. And he wants to go back with dad and, and see where, where he became a legend. And uh, so this weekend, he's bringing him to a U Dub game uh, when they played the Ducks. And uh, he says, I will eventually make it, make it to Portland. And uh, I asked him if, if the Blazers have broached with him uh, the possibility of having his number seven retired. And he says they haven't. Uh, he thinks he, it would be. I think he would be really honored, but I, I think it's telling that the Blazers right now, when they get a new player, when they sign a new player, or when they draft a new player and they give them a, a sheet with possible numbers, number seven is not included in that. Um, I asked them when, when they signed Carmelo Anthony, who wore number seven in, in New York, and uh, the equipment guy said, no, we do not offer number seven. So that tells me that uh, it tells me how much the Blazers as an organization uh, think of Brandon. And I think it also gives you an indication that, yes, they are thinking about retiring that number. Yeah, uh, I'd be down for a Brandon Roy night. I think that would be be a really cool walk down memory lane. Yeah, it really would. Uh, you know, because I've been doing this now with Blazers 21, 22 years, and some of the best memories have been Brandon Roy memories. I mean, Damian Lillard has had some incredible, incredible moments, but game four, B Roy, you know, 18 points in the fourth quarter, leading them uh, back from a 23 point deficit against the team that went on to win the NBA title, the Dallas Mavericks. That was a goosebump experience. And uh, I think I've said on this on this podcast before. Uh, I teared up in that game. I, I I got misty eyed because I knew he was going through those struggles with his knees. I knew how hurt he was uh, with how he was used in Game Two and how he held back tears uh, in Game Two of that series when Nate McMillan only played him eight eight minutes. And so uh, that was amazing. The the 52-point night against Phoenix, the, the coming back in the playoffs against Phoenix eight days after having surgery. And when he came up off the bench and then came in and the Rose Garden played the, the theme song to Rocky, you know, and the place just going bananas. I mean, it was bananas. And he said a great thing for him, a great memory for him that day was – he grew up idolizing Grant Hill, and Grant Hill was on the Suns at that time. It was an afternoon game, I believe, and, and I remember it, it started kind of filtering through the arena that, hey, I think Brandon might play. And people were like, no way. He just had surgery eight days ago. And it, it started, it made its way through the Suns locker room. And after the fact, Grant Hill told Brandon that the Suns were in the locker room. They're like, there's no way he's playing. He, is he playing? There's no way he's playing. And then they go out and they're doing warm-ups in the, the at Blazer games. They always show the Blazers 
coming out of the locker room, which is underneath the tunnel, uh, you know, underneath the stands. And he said, Grant Hill and the, and the Suns players looked up at the big screen and they showed the Blazers in the tunnel. And sure enough, there was Brandon Roy buttoning up his sweats. And they, he said, the Suns players looked at each other and said, oh, my God. And they, they were just in awe that this guy was coming back eight days after surgery. And then the electricity in that building, he came out and went through the layup line. And then when he finally got summoned into the game to the theme of the rocking music, oh, God. I mean, right now, I just even talking about it, it is it's awesome. It, it, it was, it's, what's, it's what makes sports awesome. And that was an awesome, awesome moment. You know, he made a great shot against Houston on TNT. Nate McMillan called it uh, the shot from heaven because he had to shoot it so high. I think it was 0.8 seconds left on the inbounds. But I felt like, you know, there was a, um, you know, I call them basketball guys or whatever, just like kind of paying their last respects to me, you know, like, yeah. dude, you deserve this moment, you know, and yeah. I really felt like that, you know, I was like, because yeah. cause some of the stuff that I was doing, it was like for the first time in my life, I was just like, let it go, like just, you know, have fun with it, and the way it just kind of slowly played out, I was like, man, coming back, it wasn't a fast, you know, it was yeah. like it slowly just yeah. came back, and it was like yeah. walking them down, walking them down, and um, shots just felt good when they were leaving, and and I didn't care it was a playoff game. I didn't care it was on TV. TV. Those are stuff that, you know, basketball players are thinking. And yeah. it's like, I just kind of let go. But it just felt like somebody wanted me to have that moment. Yeah. You know, and whatever that is, you know, people believe it. I just felt like it was somebody wanted me to have that moment. And they were going to carry me through it. Even when Jason Terry shot that last shot, I was like, you're not going to make it. Yeah. It just... This is my moment. Like, right. <laughs> it's not going to be still that way. So, it, it, and I don't know what that is. You know, I don't. It was, but I did feel like you know somebody, some you know something wanted me to to have that moment. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side to the game that's just as important. I am talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body. And Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash blazers. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash blazers. That's calm.com slash blazers. He was an amazing, amazing player. It's such a unique player. The, the pace that he played at, his moves, uh, you know, his step backs, his jabs, the way he could finish left, right. Uh, and how clutch a player he was. That's another thing that really, why he has so much currency with the Trailblazers fan base is that dude was clutch. And it wasn't just shots. He drew charges with 10 seconds left in the game and the Blazers holding on to a one-point lead. He blocked Carmelo Anthony's shot on Christmas uh, with his fingertip. 
uh, to preserve a win on a, on a night that he scored 41. And I think Carmelo had a big night too, but he blocked Carmelo's shot uh, in the final seconds to preserve the win. He was the absolute definition of clutch. And so it was just really a joy to watch him play. And then you really gain an appreciation when you hear him talk about what he was going through physically and and what he was doing behind the scenes just to get ready to play. Dave, he told me that he, he would get his knee drained 10 to 20 times a year. And there would be, they would fill uh, two tubes up of liquid and they would, they would play with how much liquid they would do because if they drained it, all the liquid out, then it was too painful for him. He needed a little bit of fluid, a little bit of weight. And, and that's how he measured it. It was not uh, so much uh, how, how much they got out of it. It was he, he got used to playing with the weight of his knees, of having fluid in there. And that's how it felt right. But so that's what they would do. And so they would drain some out. And then the doctor would say, bend your knee. And he'd go, yeah, well, no, take a little bit more out. And and they got to that process where they kind of knew about how much fluid to take out and how much fluid to leave in there to have him play. And and then, you know, he ate anti-inflammatories like, like vitamins. And he said that there was this process that he used to get out of bed that uh, he didn't want to get into it because he said, I I want to keep some things private about what I went through, but it was a process for him to get out of bed and into the shower. And then, you know, he would eventually get to the point where he could move around and, and play and play at a very high level. Um, But again, like he said, part of the frustration was, People didn't know what he was going through just to get onto the court and to play. And, uh, but I think, you know, I think deep down we all probably knew because at the end you could see, you could see how it, it was, it, it hurt him to play. You know, he yeah. just w- was a little bit more stiff, but. I don't know. I, I went on a fucking tangent there. I'm sorry. No, it's good. No, no, no. This is good. All right. So I, I just want to, as we finish up, I got a question for you yeah. because I like, you know, I, I've gotten to know you, I think pretty well. Um, I know the stuff that you, that you really feed off of in, in your mm-hmm. job and, and the stuff that really drives you. How was this experience like reconnecting with Brandon Roy? How was it for you? It was, uh, it was awesome. Um, I think in a way I needed it. Uh, it was just, uh, it was cool because, uh, Cause that was a cool part of my life. And, uh, I can't believe I'm getting emotional. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not surprised. I, um, I really am not because again, like I said, I, I know the stuff that, that drives you in this job. And I know that, that the people are really what you care about. I mean, 
you know, b- basketball comes and goes, but I, I know that the yeah. people are the, are the part of the job. And it shows when you read a piece like this that you wrote about Brandon Roy. I mean, this is yeah. one of the best things I've ever read, much less, oh, you know, in, in the last year. Um, and, and that's why yeah. I wanted to know, like, what was it like for you? It was cool because we, we relived so many moments that were fun. Um, that was the, that was the best. Those were the best years of my life professionally. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just cool to kind of touch on that kind of stuff. And then also, I mean, selfishly, I, I needed to know, you know, like, did I do something that made you mad? Like, why, why, why did we have this separation? And, uh, you know, we cleared some of that up. Some of it was, he felt that he was too honest with me at times and, and that hurt him with teammates. You know, there was a story that I wrote about that kind of started the, the leadership of Brandon Roy in Portland. They were in, in Los Angeles playing against the Lakers and uh, they came in at halftime and Smush, Smush Parker had made a couple steals at the end of the half and Zach Randolph was pissed. And Zach comes into the locker room and he's MF in this, MF in that, pointing fingers. And Brandon's around the corner in the bathroom stall uh, going to the bathroom. And he hears Zach going off. And he comes in and uh, says, hey, we're not having that here. That's not how we're going to do things. We're not pointing fingers. We're going to win as a team. We're going to lose as a team. And Anyways, I, I got tipped off that that happened. And so I asked Brandon about it. And it was, it was kind of framed as, you know, hey, this is the, the start of a, of a leader in Portland and, and kind of the passing of the torch. Zebo was, was the big star of the team. He was the franchise guy at that time. And, and Brandon was a rookie. But at that moment, the team and the franchise kind of shifted over to Brandon. I wrote that and it ended up, hurting Zach's feelings and Zach had a problem with with Brandon that that got out and Brandon his response was hey I I was just asked answering questions but there were several other instances that Brandon and I kind of talked about during this visit where he kind of got himself in trouble by stuff that I had written uh you know the game two where he fought back tears and he felt like uh he didn't want to hurt the team and he felt like he became a distraction uh, because of that story. And so uh, there was some reluctance to kind of come out and, and talk again for a story, but uh, he ended up, we ended up doing it anyways. And, and and another side thing too is, is, is Brandon and Zach are very, very tight. He's one of the, the tightest um, ex teammates that he has. Uh, he's very close to Zach Randolph. They, they still, talk and do things um but that was just a little minor speed bump in that thing but yeah anyways well it was it um, was awesome it was it was really really cool to to see him to talk to him to uh share memories again and and just to see him in a good spot you know i I really felt like he was in a good spot and i i would be able to tell i think if he wasn't um he, he and I love how honest and open and, you know, cause it, it takes some balls to, to tell, to tell people that, 
hey, I was unhappy and I, I was not in a good spot and I was a jerk at times. He he really showed, uh, he revealed himself. And, and that's not easy for, for a lot of guys to do, especially when you're uh, an athlete of his caliber. So I, I love that about him. I've always loved that about him. And I was glad to see that he hadn't changed, but that also he was uh, growing and, and maturing and, and also being a good dad. It, it was cool to see when I watched him coach his, his kids sat right behind him at the bench. It, it's funny that, you know, there's play going on and, and his daughter went up and tapped him on the shoulder and asked him a question. I, I think she asked him like money for the, go to the concession stand or something. And then at halftime, she went down to the locker room with him. Uh, so he's being a dad and he's loving it. And uh, it just makes me happy to see him in that space. That's awesome. I mean, it's just nice, you know, to have a story about a former player that is, you know, at least uh, doing better than he was instead of how it feels like so often. It's just like, you know, negative when we when we hear about these guys post career, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm No, no, go ahead. I think what he he liked and I think I said this in the article is that. I think he liked being revealed as, as being real, you know, that, Hey, not everything has been great. Everything hasn't been easy, but I'm fighting to, to get to that spot. That's what I, I appreciated was the, his realness and his human, the human element that he showed us uh, and was willing to show us. So I thought that was cool. And I think that's why people can kind of uh, relate and connect with him. Well, uh, thank you for, for writing the story. I, I really enjoyed it. And, and I think that, um, you know, anybody who's listening to this show, if you haven't read it, I, I can't believe it that you didn't just pause the show in the middle of it to go read it. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, this is the kind of stuff that you're only going to get at The Athletic, which is one of the main reasons to subscribe. I mean, I, for my money, Jason Quick is worth the subscription alone. So go subscribe, go read this story. It's fantastic. Jason, thank you. Thank you, David. I did not ever think you would make me cry, but you did. Hey, listen. <laughs> I've got I've got tricks up my sleeve, Jason. Yeah, uh, everyone that... knows I'm a big mushy guy though. <laughs> hey, you know what though? It it shows when you read the work. That's the thing. It's like I know that you care about the subject matter and and yeah. that matters to me as, you know, as, as a, just a consumer of, yeah. of the stuff that you write. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you, David. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be back at some point next week with more from the Rose Garden. Like, is your story a tragedy? Because it had to, it got taken away from you so soon. <laughs> Oh, man, I don't know. I wasn't raised to look at it that way. Like, maybe people... I don't think of it like, as a tragedy. you get sad about it? I used to. Used to. Yeah, I used to. And then and then I just started to develop a new life. You know, you really got to move on. And it's yeah. like, dude, you got to move on. And But at the time, yeah, I was really dead. It was hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, Imagine. I would always go home and... My first instinct is to... Even when I play, put it on to the games. I would watch other teams. I would watch... I wasn't necessarily scouting. I just loved basketball. Yeah. So that's what I would say the tragedy is that I walked away from like basketball entirely. Yeah. 
And it's something that I did my whole life. Like, I can I can smell the air. And this is Ben in Seattle. I can smell the air. Because when fall started to come, I know it's basketball time. Like, you know, I would, even as a kid, it was like, and that was hard. You know, it was, it was hard to not be a part of, of preparing. It's like, I would know when it's time to start getting in shape at any level. It's like, all right, season's coming. I got to start pushing it, gearing up. You know, you can smell it in the air. And I can smell it in the air, man. I can, I can smell it. It's, it's it's almost basketball season. I would I would say it to my mom, and she would always like, "Yep, it's that time of the year. It's almost that time of year. It's getting a little colder. It's getting a little." And it was so for me, my body was like, "You're not gonna start like kind of gearing up, <laughs> like preparing yourself." Right. And, it's, right. and it was hard. So I would say that's the tragedy that I totally walked away from just all basketball. I'm just like, yeah, I didn't really care to watch it on any level. Both things play hard. Both things play hard. Both things play hard. God bless and good night.